frustrated from getting pushed aside from doctors, Sarah Schlichty Sanchez created a community and a podcast to support others who have been affected by Lyme disease. She has spent many years of research to guide others to be an advocate for themselves to fight, heal, and live. She shares her journey with us on how she didn't give up and how you shouldn't either. Stay tuned for her inspiring story. Welcome to the Power of Investing in People podcast. I am your host, Shay Sparks. I have found the secret to transforming trauma into treasure. We start by choosing to invest in ourselves first, and then it overflows onto others. By sharing how we have overcome our obstacles, we ignite a tiny spark of hope, love, connection, and community in other people. And when we ignite that spark, the whole world lights up. And that's the power of investing in people. Just imagine what you could ignite when you invest in yourself first. Welcome to the Power of Investing in People podcast. And today, my guest is the incredible Sarah Schlichty Sanchez. So welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so Sarah and I met just, what, a week ago, two weeks ago? A couple in a weeks group? ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on a, the new online communities of <laughs> I have being in a TED circle. So that was awesome to get to, to get to know you a little bit and now get to know you a little bit better. Yeah. And we're doing such similar things on different platforms. So that's really fun. Yes. So thank you for being here. So for those of you who don't know, Sarah Schlichty Sanchez is an entrepreneur, author, and speaker who currently hosts the Lime Voice podcast. The aim of each episode is to ed- educate, encourage, and inspire people who are living with and battling complex chronic diseases. Through an intense decade of suffering and treatment protocols, she created the Next Steps coaching program called Fight, Heal, Live. Fighting is a mindset. Healing consists of choices. And living, truly living a life of authenticity and empowerment is a reward. Mm. Yep, we're kindred spirits. Yes, we are. (laughs) This format empowers people to change their lives in spite of the unfathomable physical, emotional, and financial obstacles they face. She works as a full-time advocate through her company, Vigor for Life. She lives in Colorado with her husband and family and dogs surrounded by tranquility and healing aspects of the mountain life. You can find her podcast at limevoice.com. So <laughs> thank you so much for being here today. And um, first of all, ex- so explain what Lyme disease is. Okay, great place to start. I got Lyme disease through a tick bite when I was 18 years old. Um, so it can be transfer- transferred through spiders and they're saying maybe even ants, but typically it's through a tick. Mm-hmm. And it's been around. Lyme came into public consciousness in the 70s, mm-hmm. and it's named after Lyme, Connecticut. And people in Connecticut were having 
arthritis, juvenile arthritis. And so that's where it was named. But the thing that makes Lyme very, very difficult is that you have to have a physician who knows what they're looking for, even to run the tests. And the testing is very inadequate. And so even for me, I had what looked like chronic fatigue syndrome Mm -hmm. that got triggered by a car accident. I was fine, got in a car accident, couldn't recover, couldn't recover, and then was living with chronic muscular pain, chronic bone pain, chronic migraines. And no one, I was going to the doctors for years saying something is so wrong. And it wasn't until I actually saw a physician who knew what Lyme disease was, who said, Hey, you should get tested for this. And that changed my whole life. But wow, yeah, it's, it's a tick-borne infection. And the reality is, is you can get it multiple times. There's no immunity. Wow. Wow. So it took, I got infected when I was 18, but was in good health and had a healthy lifestyle. So it wasn't really until after a car accident that I just spiraled, but it took me 17 years after being infected and having symptoms to actually get a diagnosis. Wow. So I can't imagine how many doctors you had to go through at that time. Oh yeah. I don't have, I could go back and look at my records, but I think it was somewhere around 20. Sure. 20 doctors, I'd seen infectious disease specialists. I, you know, they kept testing me for cancer and AIDS over mm-hmm. and over again. That's wow. what they, that, you know, eventually they're like, yeah, something's wrong, but we don't know what it is as I'm like unable as a 30 year old to walk a flight of stairs. Wow. And so it attacks your neurological system, which just makes everything hard. Um, cause you lose brain function, you know, uh, you lose cognitive stability, Mm -hmm. problem solving skills, executive function. So it's just really complex and it comes from a little tick bite. Wow. It's incredible. It's incredible. And so it's terrifying. Yeah. (laughs) And so you say that it happened at 18. So how, how do you know, do you like remember like, Oh yeah, I had a, I remember finding a tick on myself. Yeah. Well, it was interesting because I didn't know for a long time. When I got bit, it was 1996. So long before Google Images was around. Right. And one of the typical, the only time in nature that when you get a bug bite and it looks like a bullseye rash is when it's indicative of Lyme disease. So it really does look like if you Google it, bullseye rash, it looks like a bullseye and not everyone gets it. So that's a really confusing part because a lot of people have Lyme disease and they never had a bullseye rash. Mm. But for me, as soon as I saw a physician who said, wow, this looks a lot like Lyme disease. Have you ever been tested? And I was living in New Mexico at that time. To that, up until that point, I'd never seen a tick ever, like in person, you know? Wow. Because we live in the desert. Gotcha. And so they're not around. It's not a common thing. Well, so that this was like 2012. By the time I'm having this conversation, I get on the computer and I look up bullseye rash and I'm like, oh my God, that's the bug bite I got when I was 18. And wow. for me, it was my senior year. We were camping or we up in the mountains mm-hmm. during spring break. But when I graduated, you know, there was like eight weeks between spring break and graduation. I still had this huge bullseye rash on my upper left thigh. And I believe I went to a doctor during that time and I was told it was an infected spider bite. And as far as I know, I was never put on any antibiotics of any kind. It was just like, oh, you've got an infection. It'll go away. 
So I am kind of fortunate in the sense that I could look back and be like, oh yeah, I had a bullseye rash. Oh, and that was the summer I started having migraines. Oh, that was the summer I started not being able to breathe very well. Oh, wow. It was easy because I had been an athlete my whole life. And then I, at 18, after graduating, I just couldn't function. I couldn't keep up. I kept trying to play indoor soccer with my girlfriends and I was just so winded. And I kept thinking, well, I guess this is what it's like to be an adult and not be in shape. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because all of a sudden I just felt chronically winded when I would exert myself. And later on, years later, when I did go through treatment, one of those major symptoms was it's called air hunger. And after I went through treatment, all of a sudden I could breathe again like a normal person and not like an asthmatic. What was one of those treatments? um, Well, I did like months of pulsating antibiotics, IV vitamin Cs, IV hydrogen peroxide, um, Wow, 65 plus supplements a day. It was really recovering from Lyme for a lot of people ends up being this multi-year endeavor. And even... After I went through two months of treatment at a clinic out in Scottsdale called Invita Medical, they treat cancer in Lyme. And I came home and still had to implement another two and a half to three years of doing anywhere from four to six hours a day of protocols wow. just to function. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I because it attacks your neurological system, you are just down, down a rabbit hole that just takes a lot of time to get out of. Mm, so it kind of sounds like it, it's a complete lifestyle shift. It's just not like oh, go to sure. the doctor and get chemo and come home. It's like, no, you have to eradicate everything from your diet to supplements to getting infusions and everything else. Oh yeah. You have to change everything and you have to do it all. You can't, most people don't get better just by being on antibiotics. It's especially because you've been sick for a long time. So when something compromises your immune system, like for me, it was a bacterial infection. That led way to viral infections, to fungal infections, to parasites. So you you have to go through multiple layers of detox and even heavy metal detox mm. to get your body back up and functioning. Wow. Wow. And, yeah. so, and so did you finally find a doctor in Colorado or New Mexico? Um, there are varying levels of doctors all over the state. Um, the facility that I go to when I'm going downhill and I need to get put back up on track physically um, is the clinic out in Scottsdale uh, in Vita Medical. But there are physicians all over. I do have a doctor here in Colorado that I see as well. It's kind of a lifelong thing. When I was first reading and trying to figure out how to recover and which clinic to go to and all that stuff, I was astounded to realize like a lot of the clinic's it takes much longer to treat Lyme than it did cancer. Wow. And I'm like, that's weird. It's different. It's just as intense. It's just, but people who are going through cancer treatment, it's a few months usually, and their life is kind of back on track within a year. But for people with Lyme, it's really a solid five years of recovery. And that's if you have the resources to pay for treatment. And so a, another big factor is just that it's typically not covered by insurance. So mm. if you get cancer, there's prescribed pathways that are covered. Not all of them are, but they, but there's an agreed upon method of treatment. And that really doesn't exist in the Lyme community. And there's a few reasons for that. But so if you want to go through treatment, you have to pay for it yourself. And it's an enormous cost 
just testing is usually several thousands, several thousands of dollars. And for people with neurological Lyme disease, which is a high percentage in the sense of people who don't get better through those first rounds of antibiotics, Mm -hmm. those people are typically spending at a minimum of $50,000 to get better. Wow. And I know, I mean, I know so many people who have spent 50 grand just getting to a diagnosis right out you know out of pocket yeah. and so it's a complex disease for a lot of reasons but also just the length of recovery wow wow so wow it's just so much yeah. to take in there um you know, I always like to start the podcast off, but we didn't start it off this way, but <laughs> because I really wanted people to understand what Lyme disease is before we kind of um, talked into this. So everything that you have been through and now you're coaching other people, you're on the other side of it, right? You're sort of in the yeah. recovery stages, right? Yes, very much so. And in fact, I feel better as an adult. I'm 42 and I'm physically stronger than I probably have been since I was 18. That's awesome. That's yeah. congratulations. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So tell me, how do you, what does investing in people mean to you? Great question. And I love that you asked that question on your show. Um, investing in people for me has meant our, my illness was so confusing and so long, right? That you don't need, you don't recognize who you are becoming. You're doing what you know to do to try to get a diagnosis and find treatment, but you're really predominantly lost in a medical system that you have to fight through. Mm -hmm. And so investing in people for me is our very first podcast episode. So we've been on advertising and promoting Lime Voice and stories of recovery for five years now. And um, we only do two episodes a month, but uh, we've been consistent at it for five years. And over and over again, what we kept saying is like, we have to stop the suffering. Mm. Like you're so isolated. My family didn't know how to help me. My husband didn't know how to help me. We were all simultaneously trying not to drown and not knowing what was going on. I mean, who in their late twenties can't walk a flight of stairs or, you know, as, as the illness sinks into your brain, because it crosses the blood brain barrier. I would, I had a, founded a real estate company in my hometown in my late 20s and was familiar with the entire city, drove the city. And I got completely lost picking my son up from school. One day we lived one mile from the school. I grew up in this town and I knew the city back and forth and I could not find my way home. I felt like I was a drunk driver and I was struggled to stay on the road, parked basically in the grass of my (laughs) front lawn. And I told my husband, I was like, I cannot drive anymore. I just put his life at risk. Like what is happening? Mm. So you're stuck in so many of these mental hamster wheels trying to deal with all the symptoms mm-hmm. that as we came out of it or, and as we were finding out more information and digging through all the misinformation, we just kept coming back to you. We've got to stop the suffering and give people a pathway of hope to know that they're not alone. They're not alone. They're not crazy. They're not lazy. They're not making it up. And that's the feedback that we get from our audience regularly is like, you've validated the insanity and absurdity of what we've gone through. And 
you know, and it's a marathon and not a sprint. So it's just, it's a lot of managing expectations, but then trying to give hope when so much of your life is getting stripped away from you. So it sounds like once you got through this, you realized that, you know, you invested in yourself by taking care of yourself and it, you just knew that you needed to overflow from you. And yes. that, that that's how your business got started. That's how the podcast got started. And that's how you're kind of connecting and reaching out to others. Yeah. You know what? It's funny you say that because investing in yourself, giving yourself permission to invest yeah. in yourself is, is this huge thing that not everyone has to go through because not everyone's fighting a big thing in life. Right. right I mean, right. but when you are fighting something big, that is we say like Lyme is bigger than your paycheck. Like what do you do oh, when your yeah. illness is bigger than your paycheck? Yeah. Um, and so investing in yourself, which I had to do because I was operating at like 5%. I needed a caregiver. I needed a caregiver for my kids. So like, as you come out of that incrementally, you're like, Oh, and I realized like I implemented after going through treatment at Invita, I implemented a protocol, a protocol called Gerson therapy. And you're familiar with Gerson? I am. Max Mm -hmm. Gerson. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I implemented a modified Gerson diet to Mm -hmm. where I juiced and did two coffee enemas a day. Mm -hmm. I did that six days a week for two and a half years. Wow. And it took hours a day. And in a sense, it was forced upon me because I was, I had no energy. I had to use what little energy I had to build back into my body. Yeah. But about 18 months into that, I realized I was like, oh, I, by investing in myself in this way, which when you have five young kids, it's really hard to prioritize that. Sure. Sure. And you're working and you're trying, you know, so I realized that by going through those daily disciplines, I had learned to invest in myself in a way that uh, would benefit me for the rest of my life. And that has been what's like, okay, I know that my my coaching clients and the people who are tuning into our podcast, like our podcast isn't fun. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right, 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 right. Like I love all the entrepreneurial podcasts and I follow them and I've enjoyed years where it's it's about growth, right? Yeah, yeah. The people who are tuning into Lime Voice, they have to be there. Like they're searching for information. Sure. And so our people kind of come in, they binge for a year or two, and then they're out, right? Because they're back to living their lives. Yeah. So we try to make it fun. We try to like throw in a little comedy, but it's hard. And so to be able to tell people, this is going to be hard. It's probably going to suck for a few years, but we're here and you're not alone. So that's been the, the message. Yeah. Huge. Well, and I love that you, you know, basic that you looked back, but basic self-care is not selfish. Right. And that is something that you had to learn as well as all of your listeners on your podcast. And everyone in the world needs to hear that self-care is not selfish people. So you might want to write that on your mirror, but it's so hard to learn. It's so true. I actually wrote it down as you were saying that. I'm like... (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I've seen that quote before. And it's absolutely true that you have to take care of yourself in order to take care. If you want to take care of anyone else, you got to take care of yourself first. But, you know, worthiness comes up as such a huge, huge factor in each of our episodes, because in order to invest in yourself, whether it's, I'm going to go on a run, 
I'm going to implement Gerson, mm-hmm. whatever it is, you have to have some serious grit behind some of those decisions. Right. So it really is a journey. And I feel like that's a big part of it, especially the worthiness factor comes up so much. If you, so many people can't work full time. Mm. Like when I got to a place professionally where I was not physically capable of either traveling and or working full time, our income drastically changed. Sure. Because if you're not working full time, you don't have access to benefits. There's a lot of stuff. So people's identities, their work, their profession, what they took pride in, their bodies being able to function, you're losing all of that. And so the sense of unworthiness and even feeling like a financial burden Mm, are just enormous obstacles that people have to navigate, not once, but like over and over again, when your journey is five, six, seven years long, Mm. you're like, oh, am I worthy of advocating for myself? Am I worthy of spending money like we sold our house to pay for the, our, my first round of treatment. Wow. It cost us $85,000 all said and done. None of it was covered by insurance. Wow. And yeah. so, but I've had so many conversations with people where they're like, oh, well, I would never sell our house. I couldn't do that to my kids. Mm. Mm. Right. And I'm like, yeah. well, I get that. You have to live somewhere, but do you're fighting for your life. Right. Like, do you want, would your kids want you alive or would they want to stay in their house? And so that whole self-care worthiness, self-esteem stuff comes up over and over again. Yeah. And uh, I don't ever share this, but I just feel like I need to share this. So I had my own um, medical journey. I was in an extreme amount of pain and extreme fatigue. And and I felt like I got hit by a Mack truck every morning and I wanted to cut my feet off. They hurt so bad. Oh, plantar fasciitis stuff? No, it just, they were just aching just so pain. bad, so much pain. And I, it was almost like I could crawl to the, you know, to the restroom in the morning because it, it was just, I was so, I'm in so much pain. And it, and I, I'm a hairstylist as well as a coach and a speaker and everything else. Oh gosh. And so I stand all day and my arms are up all day. And if I sat down, immediately the pain would come back in. If I was at least moving or standing, I would be okay. But I was exhausted, like super exhausted day in and day out. And I went to doctor after doctor after doctor. And I got told it's just in your head. Like, literally all the time. And so all the time I had, you know, and I would stop, I'd be like, this is ridiculous. Doctors, you know, they don't really, in my opinion, they don't really diagnose you unless it's a major thing. Like, like you said, cancer or, um, I forget what your other one was. AIDS. AIDS, exactly. Something major. And so I went to this one particular doctor at a university hospital here. And after I think like four rounds of lots of tests. He's like, well, you know, we've come to the point where I can't do anything for you. And I'm in tears again. And he's like, I don't understand what the tears are for. And I said, (gasps) right. And I said, because now you're going to tell me it's in my head and there's nothing you can do. And that's it. And he goes, well, I'm not going to tell you it's not in your head. And I'm going to tell you there is nothing I can do. However, I'm going to refer you to a, and see my brain went blank and lost what it's called. (laughs) Uh, it's for a, rheumat- oh, a rheumatologist. Okay. 
And I went to a rheumatologist and he saw me and he pushed on 11 pain points, uh, pressure points. And he's like, oh, you have fibromyalgia. That was one of my first diagnoses. Yeah. And I said, okay, what do we do? And he said, we put you on a cocktail of painkillers, um, antidepressants and sleeping pills. And I was like, well, I don't need sleeping pills. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> sleepy now. And, uh, but he was like, that's what we can put you on. And I said, no, thank you. And I left there and I went to acupuncture. Ah. And within, uh, she told me, she changed my diet. She said, you need to stop eating raw fruits and vegetables. You need to eat them only cooked. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Cooked fruits and vegetables. She said, and she's from China. And she said, the American diet is so, um, you know, her, her diet was so bland compared to the American diet. And the American diet was all about the flavor and spicy or, you know, fried or raw or crunchy and all of that. And she's like, just eat raw fruits or vegetables. I mean, uh, cooked fruits or vegetables. And I literally ate soup for a year. And wow. yeah. And I went and saw her twice for the first week, uh, f twice for the first two weeks. And then I saw her every week for a year. And within the first two weeks was the first time that I very long time that I didn't have pain. Wow. Yeah. Good for you doing that. Yeah. And she, and I would have migraines and this was, I had migraines for about a year and every week we'd have the same conversation <laughs> and I go in and she goes, how do you feel today? I say, I have a migraine. Did you eat chocolate? Yes. You can't eat chocolate. It causes a migraine. Okay. <laughs> and then I'd leave and then I go to eat chocolate and I should go back and we have the same conversation. Did you eat chocolate? Yes. You can't eat chocolate. It causes you a migraine. Okay. <laughs> but I had to cut out chocolate out of my diet. Wow. And that stopped my migraines. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. And it was, it's a journey. I mean, I, I get it. And none of that, none of that is covered on insurance. No. I take yeah. tons of supplements that aren't covered on insurance. I am now just literally within the last three weeks started juicing. And Good for you. I absolutely love it. I have been thinking about it for probably 20 years and just have never really? done it. Yeah. Because my, so way back when, when I was growing up, my mom sold Shackley um, yes. vitamins and their big thing was uh, scleroderma. I don't know if you know what scleroderma mm -hmm. is. Yeah, because it's mm -hmm. kind of all in that same family, right? Yeah, it is. Um, one of the women who uh, came to to speak about these Shackley vitamins was she was juicing, but that back then it was the Jack Lulane juicer that was yeah. bigger than a microwave, right? <laughs> and um, and Shackley vitamins and their purified water system that they had, and that's it. And her scleroderma was completely eradicated. Wow. And so I, I, I've always been a big proponent on, you know, nutrition over medication. And in fact, I'm, I'm kind of like one of those stickler people that I refuse medication if, you know, what else could I do kind of a thing before I take it. And so interestingly enough, my point is, is that, I mean, I get that what the Gershon therapy is because my dad was diagnosed with lymphoma, um, uh, a month after my mom died away, uh, passed away with cancer. Oh. Yeah. And then he was diagnosed with lymphoma. And so he had friends who went to this clinic, cancer clinic in Mexico. The Gerson clinic? Well, it wasn't yeah. the Gerson clinic, but that's it? what they do. 
So it might've been a different one. I'm not sure, but they There's talked a few. Yeah. Yeah. But they really talked about it. And so, you know, I was explaining to him, you know, he's in his seventies. I'm like, dad, you're going to do an enema and yeah. <laughs> you're going to do it twice a day. And you're going to only eat fruit, you know, fruit juice. That's all you get. <laughs> Are you going to be okay with that? And he was like, yes, let's do it. Let's do it. And then he kept postponing getting his um, passport and, you know, because he's old school. He was in his late seventies. So he didn't have a, have a passport. And, um, anyway, two years go by and he ended up, we had to do, he went in the hospital and we had to drain fluid off of his lungs. And by that time we switched oncologists for the third time. Um, because who was his advocate? Me. Right. Right. And I think that is so crucial that people don't understand in the medical, when people are going and getting all these medical tests, you have to have an advocate there with you. You, it's hard to do it alone. I did it my, for myself alone, but it's also because I had good, I was at least aware enough to ask questions and take yeah. notes as they're doing it. When I took my dad, um, my stepmom was there too, but neither one of them when you're getting told bad information or bad news, it's really hard to take notes. So I was just there taking notes, just trying to comprehend everything. And then I started researching and asking questions and doing all that. And so it's so important to be an advocate, not only for yourself, but for other people, if you have to be. So I love that you're an advocate. So thank you for doing everything that you're doing. Yeah, it's been it's been a rewarding journey for sure. Um, like I said, we started the podcast five years ago, and it took us two years, but that's what I've been doing. Now I make a living at it um, for the last three years. So awesome! Yeah, that's been really neat. It's been it's yeah, it's been fun. But you're right, advocacy is a huge thing, and especially there's such a huge difference between when you have a chronic and an acute something yes. come up. If it's an acute, like you go in and you have a, your spleen is ruptured, you go in and you have surgery or. Right, 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 exactly. Yeah. It's easy. You go in, you set the bone. If you have a heart attack, you put in a valve or whatever it is. Those Mm -hmm. are acute cases. When you're dealing with something that's chronic and you're years into the information and trying to figure out what to do. And even like within my coaching clients, I be somewhere between the age of 55 and 60 Mm. when because they will call and say, Hey, you went to the certain clinic. What'd you do? How'd you get better? And we do a two hour coaching call. Yeah. And anyone, I, I, my percentage of people over the age of 55 and 60 who are willing to do a coffee enema, who are willing to change their diet and lifestyle, it's very slim. Right. And, and they're also from a generation where if the doctor said, Oh, you have cancer and here's the pill, yeah. they don't ask questions. Right. I've seen it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I will say I was so thankful that both of my parents had seen uh, enough people who did that very thing that when they got diagnosed, they were like, I'm not doing treatment. Oh, Uh, wow. Neither one did. Well, my dad ended up doing treatment because by the time we drained the fluid off, he was stage four. And they said, you got, he talked him into doing treatment. And I know, and I feel bad looking back going, I'm sorry, dad, that we had you do treatment. But in the long run, um, you know, I think it it actually kind of helped him to kind of realize how bad he really was. I yeah. think he was in denial for up until literally. Uh, he, well, honestly, I don't think he actually grasped how bad he was until probably the twenty four hours beforehand. Wow, he passed away. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Huh. 
or he wasn't willing to let us know. We'll put it that way. That could be too. Yeah. Yeah. And then my mom, she had uh, mesothelioma. So that was cancer from, right. Cancer from asbestos in her stomach. And they told her that, you know, if she took it, her life expectancy beforehand was four to six months. And so her possibility could add another couple of months on there, but she's going to be super sick. And she's like, well, I'm sick now. So why add more to it? So she just stuck with the protocol of the pain, just trying to keep the pain at bay. And she lived 14 months. Hmm. I mean, unfortunately she wasted away to like 80 pounds because the cancer just eats you basically eats your body up. But you know, uh, there were uh, monumental conversations for me in those last, even the last six months. Yeah, yeah. I believe it. You know, Brene Brown talks so much about shame and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And I love her stuff because when I say this all the time, I don't, I, I really don't understand why there's so much shame involved with chronic illness. Mm. I don't. I, I mean, I think about it all the time. I'm like, why is this? Why is it when I knew as a high functioning, non-lazy, proactive person, when I couldn't keep up with a 40 hour work week, when I couldn't show up for my kids' games or whatever, or I showed up looking like a disaster because I couldn't hold a blow dryer that day or whatever it was, mm-hmm. like, I don't know why there is so much shame. You know, even how you said maybe your dad didn't want you guys to know. Mm-hmm. That's always like I think back over all my situations and I'm like, there's shame financially, there's yeah. shame emotionally, there's shame lifestyle wise. If you're realizing this might be lifestyle induced, like so it's enormous. Yeah. So can I answer that a little bit? Yeah. Because it's funny. It, well, it's funny you mentioned Brene Brown. I was just listening to Dare to Lead last, yeah, last night on my walk. So um, and I was thinking about shame too, because uh of my own story, I was in an abusive relationship, blah, 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 blah. And it's it's shameful, was shameful to talk about because as a human humans on this planet, I just believe that we feel we are the responsible for what happens to us. So Mm. if something is happening to you, it's your fault somehow. However, it was not our decision to get it or to do something for it, right? So that's how the shame falls in. That's how the differentiate is, is you didn't cause this. So I had to do, um, I actually had to write that down um, for my own sanity outside uh, when I got out of that relationship. Like I didn't cause anything that happened to me. I didn't cause Mm. that. So to think about that with your clients with Lyme disease or any other thing, I did not cause this. Right. right. And even if you made the decision to go camping, you still didn't cause the tick to bite you. Right. Right. So of course. you did not cause this and you have to forgive yourself in that, in that area. Yeah, I agree entirely. Yeah. Uh, that's a really good explanation that we do hold ourselves responsible for what happens. And it gets complicated because one of the things we talk about a lot is, yeah, now, all of us got bit by a tick and it changed the trajectory of our life. And right. that sucks. And, but even within that loss or shame or however you're quantifying it, 
there's also a difference between fault and responsibility. Yes. And so this is something my husband and I don't always see eye to eye on. Eye on and he was, he was good as far as being as good as he knew how to do caregiving, but mostly I took care of myself and he would take care of our five kids was mm-hmm. kind of how it worked out. Sure. Sure. But, right. And to where he would say when I'm like, oh my gosh, like feeling so much shame because we couldn't afford the next round of treatment or so much shame because our car, I mean, we just were like, our house was a mess because I couldn't bend over and pick stuff up. And, you know, after X number of years, the priority was juicing, going through treatment, doing the protocols. If the house was in shambles, that's what it was at the end of the day. Like we didn't live that way before. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to live that way, but it was what was required in the moment. And my husband was always like, oh, it's, you know, this isn't your fault. It just is what it is. And I'm like, I get that it's not my fault, but within an illness, like even if you fall and break your arm riding a bike, it's not your fault that you broke your arm, but it is your responsibility to go into the hospital and get treated, right? Mm. So there's all these layers of complexity where it's like, oh, I know this isn't my fault, but if I ever want to get my life back, I have to juice. I have to go to acupuncture. I have to start thinking outside the box in order to restore order mm-hmm. where, where it's been stolen. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I, it's kind of funny we're talking about this because to me, that's what you can control and what you can't control. Yes. So I have my clients literally like make a list, like on the one side is what I can control and draw a line. And on the other side is what I can't control. And lists all these things out, especially like right now in the uh, May of 2020, we're in the middle of this pandemic. We can't control who gets sick, just like you can't control who gets Lyme disease. There's literally like, it's like Corona. There's no way, right. shape or form. No, we're no predisposition. It just happens. So what you can't control is who gets it, but you can control what food you're eating right now. You can control how much water you're getting, how much movement you're getting, Right. Yeah. So you can control that. And then those things, once you have that can control list, you rate from one to 10 where you are. Are you one as in I'm, you're doing horribly. You're not literally not doing any water or 10. Like, absolutely. I am killing out on water. I'm getting eight glasses plus a day. And then you can see where you can improve again. So then that's another thing you can control. You can control to add another, add another number, add another step to drinking more water or, you know, juicing or adding another step. Yeah. Yeah. But that takes courage. Absolutely. It takes courage. All of this takes courage. So much courage. Well, just think about, you know, your story just going to the second doctor takes courage, not let alone the 25th doctor, right? Let right. alone doing all of the juicing and the enemas and the, and the, and the, all of yeah. it takes courage. Absolutely. And all of it's a step out of your comfort zone. It is because you had even mentioned your grandparents, I think, did your grandparents own one of those water machines? No, my mom. Shockley? My oh, mom. Your mom. Yeah. Okay. Even that, like, I remember realizing, um, like, we, we have, so we have paid out of pocket for two rounds of treatment for me. So I went through one round in 2013 and then I actually recovered, was off all medications, supplements. It took me five years to get to the point where I could run and lift weights. And I was reinfected in 2018. Mm. I got another, I have no idea how I was probably on my back porch, but another tick bite, another bullseye rash. And instantly 
I felt like someone had stuck a lightning rod in my neurological system. And all of a sudden I had, um, neuropathy in all four limbs where it's just feels mm-hmm. like your arms and legs are falling asleep all the time, mm-hmm. except it also feels like little bolts of lightning. And so that was so traumatic for me to have recovered and gotten out of it. And then had to go back and face the darkness of like, oh my gosh, I'm starting over. And it took us another 18 months of treatment to get me back on back to where I was functioning. But along that journey, like I, so we have very old cars. We have three old cars (laughs) because all of our money has gone into treating Lyme disease and chronic illness and stuff. So like, my water machine right now is worth more than my car. <laughs> I can believe it. Yes, I can believe it. Yeah. And I love it. My water machine is amazing. It made a huge difference for me. It puts antioxidants in it. And so like your perception of what is important yes. changes so drastically. So drastically, yes. Yeah, I would have not. And I didn't understand eating organic foods. I didn't understand eating foods that didn't have antibiotics injected Mm, into them. Yeah. And, you know, and then there's that balance of like, oh, okay, how do I bring all this information and change my life and empower my kids and, you know, my whole household? So it's like, okay, here's what we want to do. Here's what we can afford to do. And it's just that constant game of like, okay, here's where we're at. Where, how do we get to the next step? And people around you don't get it. Why would right. you buy? Why would you buy a four thousand dollar water water machine? <laughs> right. And you know, I'm like, well, yeah, we we could own really nice cars if we hadn't spent years and years dealing with chronic illness treatment. But that doesn't get us. Like, I feel like ultimately the lessons we have learned. Hopefully, we won't be getting cancer in our seventies, right? Exactly. Like, exactly. Hopefully not. But even if we do, we know how to deal with it. And so in that sense, that cur- that courage to just keep going, that courage to step out of the box and be like, it doesn't matter if my family doesn't understand why I need a $4,000 water machine. It just doesn't, you know, exactly. it's, it's yeah. just the way it unfolds. And that goes in that can't control column, right? You can't control yes. how they react. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I like the numbering. I like, I haven't heard that idea of numbering the yeah. things you can control. How well am I doing in this area? I like that a lot. Good, 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 good. Well, it has literally been almost an hour and I can't believe it. It's just gone by so fast. Yes, it has been amazing conversation. So clearly I need to have you back on because this is just (laughs) an awesome conversation. Uh, So thank you so much for your time and for being here. And I always like to leave with this question. So what scripture um, phrase or mantra are you living by right now? Oh, man. I... um am reading for like the seventh time, Ryan Holiday's The Obstacle is the Way. Mm. And it's based on stoicism. And, you know, when you have these big obstacles, like Lyme is an ongoing big financial obstacle for us every year. And I would like to be done with that phase of life, but I'm still in it. And so instead of bemoaning it, instead of feeling like, instead of feeling like a victim, that book has just really helped me put in the mindset of like, yeah, I don't want to be dealing with this right now. I don't want to spend this money and I don't want to spend my time doing this, but because that's what's best for me and that's my path, like that obstacle is blocking fulfillment for me in a sense or blocking the next step because that obstacle is so big, that obstacle has now become part of my path. And so it's been very empowering for me 
in dealing with hard realities to just focus in on that and say, okay, how do I get around this? How do I embrace it? How do I learn from it? And then how do I get around it? So definitely. And where can people connect with you? Um, you can find me on Facebook, Sarah Slickty Sanchez, or you can just look up Lime Voice um, on Facebook and it leads to me. Awesome. So, awesome. Well, yes. thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I love what you're doing and investing in people. It's just awesome. Are you looking for an inspiring and energetic speaker or host for your special event? Do you wish to have more confidence, more love, and more accepting of yourself? And you're curious about how to work with me one-on-one? Or are you looking for a brainstorming and visionary consultant on how to grow your business? When your answer is yes then I invite you to send me an email at heyshay at shaysparks.com. That's H-E-Y-S-H-A at S-H-A-S-P-A-R-K-S dot com. Looking forward to hearing from you. part of our show and it's people like you that make this show possible so we hope that you know you are appreciated don't forget to subscribe comment and share this podcast and when you want to continue the fun and conversation join my official community on the Shea Sparks Facebook page that's S-H-A-S-P-A-R-K-S on Facebook looking forward to connecting with you May your day be filled with the sparks of hope that ignites you to invest in yourself and the people around you. Why, you may ask? Because you are worth it. Mm-hmm.